Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. Pharmacy is transforming. This transformation is having a major impact on pharmacy care and patient treatment outcomes. Pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare providers throughout the country and are taking on more responsibility as their roles are expanding. The RX Influencer Magazine features some of the most influential pharmacists in the nation. Pharma Salon and the Pharmacy Podcast Network are hosting the first RX Influencer Salon event about trends and opportunities in healthcare led by pharmacists. The RX Influencer Salon will be a live event held in St. Louis, October 24th and 25th, featuring four key conference tracks including pharmacogenomics, entrepreneurship, compounding, and cannabis. This event is like none other and will help you build your business, career, and knowledge of the upcoming opportunities in healthcare led by pharmacists. Sign up today by visiting pharmasalon.com forward slash rxinfluencer. That's pharmasalon.com forward slash rxinfluencer. Become part of the most influential providers in healthcare today. Join us in St. Louis at the RX Influencer Salon. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. My name is Banasarami, your host to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the largest pharmacy podcast in the nation and one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. If you're new to the podcast, I'm a pharmacogenomics medical science liaison and a mentor to pharmacists. Connect with me on LinkedIn and let's start a conversation going. So on the last podcast, I had Miss America 2020, Camille Schreier, sharing her struggles with mental health and how PGX helped her change therapy. I highly recommend you listen to that podcast if you already have not. But today I wanted to talk to you about about pharmacist-led practices that involve collaboration with physicians. I read this article on Helio that looked at a retrospective study on more than 400 uninsured patients with hypertension and how long it takes them to get to their target blood pressure. What they found out was that the median time for a patient in the pharmacist-physician collaborative intervention, those patients reached their blood pressure goal in 36 days. Uh, And in the usual care model, it took them about 259 days. So there are more studies out there uh, than just this one, of course, but But this suggests that there is a team-based care model that involves a pharmacist um, is very much needed and can greatly impact a patient's health. So what my guest today has been able to do is just that, Dr. Sandra Oveda. She is a clinical pharmacist that has been practicing 
in the U.S. since 1999. She worked as an attending pharmacist at the Massachusetts General Hospital, which is a Harvard Medical School teaching hospital in the intensive care unit and internal medicine department, where she also served on the Pharmacy Residency Advisory Committee, the MGH Pharmacy Research Committee, and a writer to the MGH Pharmacy Newsletter. She was appointed adjunct assistant professor at the Northeastern Booth College of Pharmacy, where she was a preceptor to pharmacy students on their clinical rotation. She then joined Novartis Canada, working on new uh, product launches, developing medical content and speaking on national meetings. Her passion for the clinical pharmacy eventually led her to teach at several universities in the U.S. and abroad until she found her calling when she founded a private cardiology practice where she incorporated chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, and RPM and PGX, of course. She's the founder of uh, Precision X LLC. And since 2008, she has worked to advocate the non-traditional role of pharmacists in medical practices. And she's a huge advocate for preventative approach to patient care. She's constantly looking to create value by marrying the cutting edge innovative services with the highest evidence-based medicine to achieve the best outcome for her patients and increase the return of investment or ROI for physicians. And of course, she's been mentoring and coaching others to be able to do the same. Dr. Aveda believes in giving back to the community. And so she's currently serving on the Health and Wellness Grant Review Committee of Impact 100, which is a non-for-profit organization in Palm Beach County. Thank you so much for all that you do, Sandra, every day out there um, helping physicians and patients. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for this great introduction, Benaz. And I'm so excited to be here today. Well, thank you. Yeah. So um, I know I talked, uh, I summarized your journey in a very uh, short summary. I know there's more to that, but I wanted to kind of know what drives you and what you do every day. And why did you take this non-traditional, I'm sure kind of more challenging path? Yeah. So, you know, I've always, since I graduated, I, I always looked for uh, a non-traditional role in uh, pharmacy. And uh, I, I did, you know, so many things, but I really kept uh, looking to find the best and the most rewarding way uh, for me to make an impact. Um, so, you know, by adding these services to our cardiology practice, um, it really helped me uh, feel this uh, sense of reward and uh, helped me provide the very high quality of care uh, to patients. And I think, you know, after I started incorporating uh, PGX, which is a cutting edge tool that we're now using, um, helped me, gave me this, this, you know, exciting um, feeling uh, every time, you know, we are part of this conversation on genomic, on how precision medicine is now, you know, being uh, a part of our daily practice. And of course, you know, I love the interaction with patients. So um, for me, this felt right, you know, is the right place to be. <laughs> yeah, no brainer. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> I know I cited a study that showed the benefit of pharmacists working in conjunction with provider, but from your experience, can you tell us what are the benefits of having a pharmacist uh, working 
in a chronic care management uh, RPM practice in a physician's office. And if you have examples of um, what that looks like when a patient comes in, what they what the processes that you put them through, um, um, we would love to hear it. Sure. So the you know the the value of having a pharmacist uh, in the practice is really very time saving for the physician you know even to to start with that you know patient, uh, physicians might not even know that these services exist and um, usually they rely on periodic seminar or presentations about new codes or new services uh, that MDs can incorporate in their practice. And um, they, they even rely you know, on their manager or whoever is in that role in their office to bring those new ideas uh, or income generating services to them. Uh, but that doesn't always happen. And so, and the reason for that is they really don't have the time to vet um, the, the companies that they need to use. Uh, they don't have the time to implement or train the staff. Uh, um, to um, th there's a big challenge also in following up with the billing uh, when it's outsourced to an outside company. Um, so the pharmacist really can take on this role, and this is what I've been doing uh, here. The we we take the time to see how we can leverage the staff to incorporate the service. Because after all, you know, of course, you know, it's a very noble business, but it is a business and it comes down to understanding the numbers uh, of what those services can, uh, can uh, bring. And if the physicians don't see also the business value, they would be reluctant to do it. So I think the pharmacist can really step into this role of an entrepreneurial role and present all the benefits of such um, uh, such services uh, and uh, why you know the physician would choose to have a pharmacist on board uh, on their team. I think uh, the other impact uh, and it is the biggest impact is really the patient outcome. So we see, uh, you mentioned initially, um, which is great that you mentioned that because I also have some, some stats to share about, you know, what, where is the patient um, patient outcome uh, that that we can we can see uh, on um, when we when we incorporate these uh, these services so there was for instance one study where they looked at the hospital admission rate um, of uh, patients who were called or not called after their dis their discharge and the call you know um, was um, what medication they were discharged on when to follow up with the physician uh, after a discharge. And they saw that it really decreased by 6.2% uh, following those calls compared to a 15% increase in the group that was not called. So this, for instance, really illustrates the value of CCM uh, because this is what we do in CCM. We call patients, you know, after they discharge, we follow up every month and, um, uh, with them to ask them about their medication regimen, their, uh, if they have any new symptoms. Uh, so the bottom line is really we keep the patients out of the hospital. Um, yeah, and for, yeah, and for people, sorry to interrupt, for people who may not necessarily be familiar with uh, CCM or chronic care management, can you kind of give us a really brief, I know it's a, it's a, it's got, I know Medicare covers it, it's got a bunch of, um, you know, 
list of things you need to do and satisfy and things like that but kind of a general idea of what it is and because I know when you do when probably you do PGX you have to still go through everyone's medication you have to talk to them about their chronic conditions have what's going on before you do a PGX so that in itself can that be a chronic care management visit um so can you kind of give us a very um short overview of what chronic care management is yeah, absolutely. So CCM is a service that is uh, covered by Medicare, you know, under the 80-20 rule. And I know that some insurances are also, uh, some private insurers are covering it. And essentially, uh, it is a program where patients are offered the service uh, at uh, a doctor's visit. It has to be an in-person uh, visit to offer uh, that to the patient. The patient consents. It does not have to be a written consent, but they verbally consent. And they have to to have at least two chronic conditions. And, um, you know, a lot of patients have at least two chronic conditions. So it's there's no scarcity of patients who would be eligible for CCM out there. And um, we um, what we do is uh, we call them every month and uh, we go over there. Uh, we reconcile their medication. We uh, ask for their labs to be sent into our office if it hasn't already done so, to check their kidney function, to see if any dose need to be adjusted. Uh, in cardiology, for instance, patients are on Eliquis and they are, you know, they have CKD and sometimes it fluctuates, the serum creatinine fluctuates. So we, we pay close attention to labs. Potassium is a big one uh, because they are on diuretics and they usually do monthly labs. So it, labs is definitely a um, something that we look at every month. We do, after hospital admission, uh, we do uh, a, a type of transition of care as well. Uh, they're very confused. We have a lot of demented patients that benefit tremendously from CCM uh, because they have such a uh, pill burden. Polypharmacy is also a, uh, a place where we intervene all the time. Um, I, there's, there's so many, uh, uh other, you know, I, I can think of, uh, anything right now, but I think more right now, but, uh, we can incorporate a lot of also other uh, things in CCM RPM, for instance, which is remote patient monitoring. When we go over their blood pressure log, it can also be, uh, a part of the CCM call and they have different CPT codes, um, with CCM, for instance, when we onboard them, there's a code. Uh, when uh, when uh, we spend 20 minutes of time with them, there's a code. And if a patient is a complex patient, we call it a complex uh, CCM. Uh, we spend you know 40 minutes, sometimes a month, with that patient on several calls, and um, this adds up to uh, to another also CPT code that we can uh, that we can charge for. So basically, really anything that manages the chronic uh, conditions of a patient. So that could be a lab, that could be a conversation, how to take your medications right, how is it working for you? So anything that, what I'm hearing you say is really anything that helps, as the name says, chronic care manager manage their chronic conditions. So that Absolutely. would fall under that. And Absolutely. You and, and patient education and counseling is a very big one. Uh, you know, feeling that when they feel that they have a dedicated team member mm -hmm. that they uh, can call, uh, that they can go to with questions, sometimes it's not only relevant to the specialty, uh, 
that uh, the office is uh, is you know providing CCM from, uh, it can be you know they could be calling about their diabetes medication uh, to a cardiology practice just to know that they have a team member who is there to answer their question uh, about, uh, for instance, lifestyle modification, educating about the right blood pressure uh, blood pressure measuring technique. Sometimes they just we have readings that we are um, treating uh, that uh, are not based on accurate blood pressure measurement uh, techniques. So educating the patient on that. Uh, weight in a chronic heart, uh, heart failure patient is also a big uh, monitoring uh, parameter because uh, you know we follow if they have water retention, if, if they're fluid overloaded, if they have symptoms of decompensation such as uh, you know cough or uh, leg swelling uh, to adjust their diuretics accordingly. Um, exercise, salt intake, all this takes so much time and the physicians on during that month, you know, monthly or, or once every three months visit don't have time to address. And this is where CCM plays a major role in uh, uh, improving outcome for patients. I was just going to say, why do physicians more not do it? But then you just answer my question. It takes a lot of time. They don't have that at every visit that the patient comes in. It's probably like seven, 10 minutes. I think I read somewhere the average number of time if our, a um, clinician spends with their patient. And I'm sure it, it varies based on which um, specialty they have, but it's an average of seven to 10 minutes. So that it just probably would be a lot more than that if they were going to do once a month or every three months that chronic care management at the visit. So it, it makes sense to have someone else kind of who knows what they're doing, such as this pharmacist, which is a, is a great, um, you know, profession to have. Mm -hmm. um and also you know put it in there with you know be an interdisciplinary team of um pharmacist physician maybe a nurse um, nurse practitioner things like that so those are great so Absolutely. so um so that makes a lot of sense you know it's and a complete it's comprehensive uh, holistic uh, you know approach to a patient but sorry go ahead you were saying yeah, absolutely. And sorry to interrupt, but I also wanted to add a very big factor about um, patient satisfaction. So when a practice can provide uh, such attention and service to patient, it increases the patient retention, which is very important for physicians. That's, that's a big uh, point that uh, uh, can help uh, pharmacists. Uh, convince uh, uh, physicians to have a pharmacist on board uh, in patient satisfaction in, in so many ways because they have better outcome. They feel that uh, they have personalized care. They have more time dedicated to them. And um, of course, it, it lowers the cost of healthcare at large because, you know, when we decrease admissions, um, everybody's happy. And uh, even it helps the physician with their metrics um, that they have to submit to Medicare every year that their patients were, um, the rate of uh, readmission to the hospital uh, was satisfactory. So that um, definitely is a, uh, is a big um, uh, selling point, if I, sh if I may uh, use that term. Uh, for having a pharmacist uh, on the practice uh, on uh, on board in in a uh, physician practice. Now, there's also indirect income. 
for because it's not just the CPT code that the pharmacist is using in the physician office that is generating income for the physician, but this monthly interaction with patient, whether it is with CCM or RPM or PGX is generating indirect income because when a patient is not controlled and we see that his blood pressure numbers, for instance, are not controlled, this generates a visit. And so we need to schedule a telehealth or we need to bring in the patient to adjust their medication. Uh, other things that we notice a lot in CCM, when we look at the patient's notes from a previous visit, we see that there have been a lot of misdiagnosis, uh, diagnostic uh, tests that were ordered that the patient never followed up with. So they have echoes ordered, for instance, they have lab orders, they have stress tests, they have ultrasound ordered, but the patient never really followed up uh, scheduling those diagnosis, uh, diagnostic tests. And so by reminding the patient during that CCM visit, not only are we, you know, providing high quality of care, preventing the patient from decompensating or from having any cardiovascular events, but we're also um, increasing the income um, for, uh, for the practice. And I know that sometimes people don't like to talk about that, but it's important because to be able to sell, and I, I know you're, you're right, I hate to use that word, but, you know, have, you know, provide a um, value proposition of why a pharmacist yeah. needs to be in a physician practice. Really, those are the key items that, in addition to the outcomes that they're looking for for their patients, those are the other things that can they're looking at. So those are important factors to point out that the like um, their revenue generating for the practice and things like that. So those are important key things to mention. Um, mm -hmm. So I appreciate you doing that because I know, uh, you know, it may not sound right, but is actually very important, you know, because before, for example, before you came on and uh, offered a CCM and RPM and a physician practice, they're like, well, we're fine without you. It's like more of, more of a maybe, um, uh, you know, an expense, but they actually saving and so to, for you to come with the value proposition of how that looks like and what that looks like um, is actually key. So um, it's awesome that you've been able to do that because it's, it's, um, it's really for the patient at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, you know, because the, the ultimate outcome is really keeping the patient healthy, keeping the patient out of the hospital and um, helping this physician care uh, for their patients uh, at, uh, you know, using the highest uh, level um, of evidence-based medicine and all mm -hmm. the tools out there and leverages them, leverage them in, uh, in, in their office. Yeah, exactly. And so I know we talked a lot about that, which is really important because it's all part of the holistic approach we're always trying to do for our patients. But how do you, you know, talk us through the benefits and utility of PGX in when you're yeah. incorporating it with the chronic care measure, like a whole big picture? Yeah. So the, the PGX is really a tool that we add into our uh, CCM and our uh, office visits. And it's been tremendously helpful uh, in, um, in cardiology, actually more than I expected when I first started using it. So now that, uh, for example, I'm just gonna give maybe like a few patient uh, cases uh, that we can, we can briefly talk about. Yeah, um, we'd love to. 
So in PGX in um, cardiology now have an extended indication uh, because of the recent guidelines that were published in January 2022, where they talked about uh, uh, using a gene-guided uh, therapy for Plavix uh, in patients with uh, CVA, TIA, uh, a PAD, like peripheral arterial disease, and uh, coronary stenting. Uh, um, uh, so it's... The fact that we have those guidelines, it really helped us support, you know, why are we using this test? So, for example, um, we have, uh, let me use an example post-PCI, uh, not uh, just the uh, neurovascular indication. So for post-PCI, we have uh, a patient uh, who uh, just had a PCI, who was put on Berlinta. Two weeks later, he comes back and he says, you know what, I really cannot afford it. Uh, I know that there's another drug out there and it's, he mentioned Plavix, of course, and I really want to go on Plavix. So before PGX, and if we did not have it in the office, it would have been really, okay, you know, he cannot afford it. Let's switch to Plavix. Of course, there's evidence post-PCI to use it. But here we did do a PGX test and the patient came back poor metabolizer of a CYP2C19. And we had this conversation immediately saying, you know, I, I, I mean, understand it's a financial burden. What can we can do to help you? But uh, with Berlinta, but if you go on uh, Plavix, uh, there's a risk of lack of benefit and you might have a recurring event. So this was really, for the patient, for him, it was so revealing and life-saving uh, thought that if he had switched to Plavix without the PGX, he would have not had the benefit of having an effective anti-plated agent uh, post such a um, uh, important event. Um, another application in cardiology uh, are beta blockers. Uh, a lot of patients who, are, um, who have uh, um, heart failure uh, are put on Entresto uh, for reduced ejection fraction. And the, uh, the, uh, the heart rate uh, drops and uh, the blood pressure drops. Uh, of course. And uh, when the blood pressure is so low with patients on Entresto, they have, you know, current fatigue, they, it hovers around like 90 over 50. We have to adjust and cut down their dose of Entresto. And these patients are also on beta blockers. So if they are on metoprolol and they are CYP2D6 uh, poor metabolizer, then we switch them to carvedilol or bisoprolol because it uh, bypasses this pathway. And uh, so we might gain even few points on blood pressure it, they, that uh, might be um, very beneficial uh, for them and keeping them on an optimal dose of beta blocker and uh, entresto. Um, gosh, I can't, uh, let me speak oh. of another case here. <laughs> well, those, are the, well, those are the very top two medications that are constantly being prescribed. So, oh my gosh, right. like, you know, yeah. That, yeah. That's, those are key. Yeah. Do we have time for another case? I just remember. Oh, yes, 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 please. Okay. So, <laughs> we had, <laughs> actually, this happened last week, so I'm excited to share it. Um, we had a 94-year-old uh, patient. Uh, he had a prior history of stroke, and we discovered that he had AFib on the loop recorder, so he was put on anticoagulant. Of course, um, we, we chose Eliquis in this case, uh, but uh, while he was on Eliquis, he had a non-ST elevation MI. Uh, we the doctor chose to treat him medically and he was put on Brilinta 
and Aliquis. So, and to complicate things is uh, he had, um, uh, uh, you know, decreased kidney function. So his Aliquis dose would have been sometimes, because if the, his serum creatinine would drop below 1.5, we'd have to put him on Aliquis 5 BID. So the combination of Aliquis and Brulinta in this patient, 94 year old patient, it will put him at risk of bleeding. So preferably we said, okay, what if we can put him, switch him to Plavix and and here it really guided us, uh, the PGX test guided us to choose Plavix because he came back to be a normal metabolizer for CYP2C19. Uh, if we did not have the PGX uh, tool to use, uh, we would have really, again, done a shot in the dark and would not have been, uh, would not be able to know if he was protected on, um, on this antiplatelet agent if we switch him to Plavix uh, versus Brilinta. So wow. that, and we ended up switching him to Plavix. So that, that was also a, 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 an exciting case for us. Wow. Yeah, that is awesome. I was going to ask you, like, why did you choose this path of running chronic care and RPM and PGX uh, you know, together? But now it all makes sense because you have all the data in front of you, you have the lab results, you have the patient, you have their medications. It, it It's a no brainer. So I really kind of answered my own question, but with your um, perfect examples. And I think more, you know, pharmacists and clinicians need to be doing that. And, but, but also if you realize you were very educated knowing which medications have the PGX indication, what does that look like when you combine the two? What does that mean if they're poor? So I think that education piece uh, is also important to be able to teach it. So do you feel like you do a lot of that with the clinicians you speak with as to the reason why you do, you need to do PGX? for a particular patient that you pick? Yeah, and I think I get overly excited sometimes <laughs> because I um, I speak to it not only to physicians in our practice, but uh, we uh, we meet physicians, you know, at school in uh, in our meetings for you know for for a lot, a lot of social events, and I always jump on the occasion to talk about PGX because I really see the daily value of having it uh, uh, incorporated in the practice, and I always take the occasion, you know, to to talk about also what lab to choose because the first reaction I get from physicians is like, oh, you know what, PGX is getting such a bad rap. Unfortunately, because of all uh, the, uh, there's a lot of fraudulent labs out there that are solicitating physicians. And unfortunately, it's making our job much harder mm -hmm. uh, to advocate and uh, and um, for PGX. So I, I do take every, every occasion to speak about PGX <laughs> and the right application of uh, PGS I love it. how to best uh, how to best uh, do it I love it I love it so um I know you talked a lot about that and maybe this is like a two of a basic question or maybe you already answered it so I apologize but you know when we get out of pharmacy school we either take a clinical position I mean we're all clinical but you know, um, you know, hospital or a community pharmacy. How did you stumble upon chronic care management and RPM and PGX to even know, oh my gosh, there's this thing out there. I got to get it and put them all together and things like that. How did, how did you even stumble upon that? So I can't say I did until I had my own path, but um, not a lot of people, you know, know about me, know about it. Not people maybe um, heard of it. And some people who have like, they don't know how it's used. So I'm, I'm just wondering, how did it come about that you learned about these, um, these things? Yeah, so, so I think with chronic care management, it's been probably uh, almost four years that uh, I've been doing in the practice. Um, 
Initially, I started looking for, uh, again, we've gone back to this non-traditional role of pharmacist in uh, the practice. And uh, I started researching online uh, to see what's out there. Uh, there. The conversation had started also in social media, in, uh, um, uh, in uh, the seminars that, uh, that the physician's offices uh, attend you know, every year also about what new services can be provided in the practice. So it sounded very appealing because it was a win-win situation. Uh, it was, again, you know, practicing at the top of the license, but also bringing this amazing level of care to patient and being finally able to charge one way or the other. I mean, ideally, it's not the best way for pharmacists to charge for it because we still charge for it under the physician's um, uh, you know, uh, practice uh, CPT code, but it was just finally a way to get paid to provide also this service that will um, uh, will improve patient outcome. Um, so I researched it. I look at what uh, what it uh, uh, what they needed to start this, uh, and it's really simple to start the CCM uh, program in a physician's office. Uh, a software is needed. I definitely highly recommend that. So. Um, uh, that's definitely something that needs to be uh, vetted and see what software would best uh, uh, fit the practice and interfaces with uh, the current uh, EHR that they use. Um, as for RPM, uh, also it was, um, I really noticed during you know the patient's visit that we were treating a number. Uh, and that was very frustrating for me. You know, they would come to the office, uh, we would take their blood pressure, we would do a repeat blood pressure. And here it is, you know, we have two numbers. Uh, it, uh, it could be normal, it could be elevated, but we don't have this log. Uh, some patients, a lot of patients don't bring their log, they don't do a log. And so this really uh, has um, uh, pushed me to, uh, to incorporate RPM uh, in the practice because I really needed to, to see this longitudinal uh, follow-up for patients. And this was ideal to be able to go into the portal, look at their numbers. I mean, a case of, it just happened um, last week on Friday. Uh, I had a patient who who came with, uh, who, they had like 160 in the office, a repeat of 150 something over 90. And, you know, this is uncontrolled blood pressure. And I looked at the portal, they were on RPM. For the past two weeks, they had an average blood pressure at home of 126 over, um, you know, 72 or something. So for me, it was, the that patient was controlled. They just had extreme anxiety when they're in the office. Uh, and uh, that um, that in itself, you know, she was uh, uh, the, the perfect example, you know, why uh, we need to have those in, uh, in the office and why the pharmacist is best fit to do them uh, and provide that type of care for patients. Uh, now for PGX, um, for PGX, I uh, found Juvenas on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's how, uh, you know, uh, at first, you know, I, uh, um, I saw what you do and uh, you, you were so ins uh, inspiring for me. And I loved uh, your involvement, your, your type of involvement in PGX. And again, you know, being me, I, I was looking for the this next best thing also to incorporate in the practice. And um, <laughs> I decided to to get certified for a PGX. And uh, 
the um, I did uh, a certification online with also live uh, course with PGX 101 with Sue, who, who was amazing. And uh, I started reading and reading and reading uh, about it, you know, getting all the studies that um, I could uh, I could find uh, on how to apply it in cardiology and uh, um, it took a bit uh, harder time initially to convince uh, having PG, convince the physician to have a PGX in the practice because uh, you know it's such a new um, discipline for them. They never took uh, that in uh, uh, medical school, but uh, I, they were quickly on board and they just saw the value. And uh, it's been uh, it's been amazing ever since. You know, precision medicine is now, and so being part of this is so exciting for me and. And uh, I always describe myself as a lifelong learner, and I find this, you know, RPM, CCM, and and um, uh, PGX uh, really uh, aligns with uh, uh, this very important value I set for myself of being a lifelong learner and uh, applying this to my patients, and I and I love it. Well, I'm excited for you. I think those are all really, you hit on the three key things to have in a practice, which is very comprehensive chronic care management, RPM and PGX. And I love the example because it puts a good perspective in place where you had, it, you're, you're trying to say that, oh, at least is how I understood it, where that last patient you were talking about, you kept getting two weeks of normal blood pressure levels, and then they come into practice because you have that, um, there's a term they call it the clinician uh, anxiety something where the blood pressure goes up because of that yeah, purpose. The, the white coat. The white coat yes, syndrome. thank you, white yeah, coat. Almost, that was close, that yeah. was close. Yeah, um, yeah. White coat. Uh, so if you had not had that RPM for the past two weeks, you would just have diagnosed the patient as high blood pressure, I'm assuming, right? So uh, is that he, where... he was, the diagnosis was set and that's why we put them on RPM, but, uh, but we had uh, changed their medication regimen we put them on uh, two blood pressure medication in the previous visit. And so based on the initial numbers, we said, you know, that should be enough. But having not had the RPM on that visit, um, we would have totally increased their uh, yeah. dose of yeah. blood pressure or added a third one, which yeah. is not common at all. Having patients on three or four medications for blood pressure mm -hmm. uh, to control it. So just having those numbers really saved the patient. Uh, the anxiety of not being not told, told not being uh, controlled saved the healthcare system money because they were not uh, we did not add another medication and saved the you know all all sorts of savings here you know like side effects oh, yeah. from their medication oh a lot um, uh, adjustment of dosing dosing like additional visits you know, oh you yeah the transportation for the patient that has to of come course. you know yeah, a lot yeah I, I love it I think these are really great examples that you brought because. Uh, we know those, but I don't think we actually think about them in that sense. And I, I really enjoyed the um, the, case, the cases that you brought and actually patients that you're going through. So I really appreciate all you're doing. You're doing all these for a clinician under that LLC. Is that correct? Um, so part of it, yes, and part of it, no. So the LLC is also for um, uh, consulting services that I provide. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you can mm -hmm. talk about uh, your consulting as well, because I know it falls under that LLC as well. 
Yeah, so helping other pharmacists um, uh, incorporate this in their practice uh, is part of this LLC, um, incorporating those services, teaching them how to do it, what, uh, how to vet softwares, how to uh, talk to physicians about uh, uh, adding those services to their practice. Um, helping uh, a pharmacist on, you know, uh, how to establish their business uh, on how to understand uh, how to bill for the CPT code, helping the physician leverage the staff that they have in order not to add staff uh, to to uh, you know, maximize their return on investment when they incorporate those um, those services, um, and the so that's for the LLC. Helping physicians as well uh, start this in their practice. So this is also part of the LLC consulting on um, the things I've named before, but uh, from the physician's side. Um, providing pharmacogenomics also uh, to uh, private payers uh, is also through uh, that LLC. Now, for uh, the services that I provide in the office, it is actually not done through the LLC. It's done through uh, under uh, a collaborative practice agreement with uh, the uh, physicians. And so uh, it is billed under uh, the practice um, NPI and it's incident to uh, billing. And uh, we uh, bill for a visit and the physician uh, also end up seeing the patient that day. So this is uh, how would the, um, uh, the business model be for the practice, for the cardiology office. Well, I got to say, I really appreciate all that you're doing as a pharmacist and collaborating with a physician and helping a patient and trying to learn how to do things even more and, um, and more comprehensive and actually coming, turning around and helping your peers do that. So I want to appreciate you. And I know a lot of um, Thank you. patients are grateful to you because a lot of those little things, which are not little, but you know, they're missed. Um, you know, I'm sure they're grateful on that end. So I appreciate you coming on. What, what do you hope the listeners, um, it could be pharmacists, it could be students, it could be patients that, you know, maybe listening for their parents or grandparents or things like that. What do you want uh, them to take away from, um, all the things you've shared in your story and your journey? Oh gosh, I really, I really hope that um, uh, it um, it was informational. I think that's the first thing uh, I, uh, you know, want to say. I hope that uh, that it was inspiring for them uh, to uh, start any uh, um, for students to start their journey, knowing that they can make a difference. Uh, that there are so many applications uh, out there for pharmacists to be involved in, uh, whether it's traditional or non-traditional uh, roles that they can take on. Uh, for pharmacists, I think um, the uh, what I would hope that um, if they work in a physician's office, that uh, they uh, incorporate these practices uh, there if they can, because the difference that it can uh, make for patients is so rewarding. I think uh, uh, just hearing a patient at the other end of the line when we do telemedicine or when we do the CCM call or when we adjust uh, you know, their, their medication according to their blood pressure or answering just basic questions, these reassuring answers that we give them, knowing that they have uh, someone to, uh, to watch over them is uh, really worth it, so worth it at the end of the day. And uh, I wish that, um, and I hope that every pharmacist finds this, um, this satisfaction in their daily practice. 
Well, I hope so too. And I know they, um, you're probably on LinkedIn, right? They can probably reach out to you for more questions if they have it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn and uh, they can uh, uh, message me. I, I'll be more than happy to help to answer questions and to connect. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate you. Hopefully we'll have you back and uh, talk you. more about um, what you're doing. <laughs> I was very happy to be part of it. Um, I was honored to be part of it. Thank you for having me, Benaz. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. And thank you everyone to tuning in, making sure, make sure you do not miss any episodes. Don't forget to share this link so everyone can tune in and listen to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Networks. There's no other place to go for all your PGX needs. We do a lot of PGXing on here. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can visit us on PGX4, the number four, rx.com to listen to all our episodes. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.